0: Hey, welcome to Easter Sunday at Discover. Again, he is risen. All right, now everybody's awake and everybody's ready for that. I might sprinkle some of those in, so be ready. Be ready. Um, welcome, you guys. It is, it is such an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, there's just so much going on. We look at the, at the resurrection from the tomb being a new thing, Uh, that God is doing, and God is doing a new thing in our midst with a a potential new home. There's so much newness going on. It's easy to look around the world and just go, oh, man, it's crazy and out of control and and dark. It is not that way. On this Sunday, Easter, also known as Resurrection Sunday, did you know that there are over 2.5 billion, with a B, Christians worldwide who are celebrating this day with us right now? That is awesome. That's what the body of Christ... And feel free to yell out, amen, hallelujah, anytime, okay? Don't don't make me ask for it. Don't make me beg. Just throw them out there if you feel like it. But um, two and a half billion, that is awesome. That means worldwide, the body of Christ is coming together to just acknowledge what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, accomplished on the cross at Calvary, and then again, three days later as he rose from the tomb. That's that's what we're looking at together here today. Now, a couple days ago on Friday, it was Good Friday, and we had our Good Friday service here. It's not really a celebration. Good Friday commemorates the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So it was an entirely different feel. But what we observed was just a remembrance of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished, his death accomplished some specific things and his resurrection, his new life accomplished some things. So we're going to look at all that. So again, on Good Friday, his death on the cross accomplished so much. Among them, Jesus died to reconcile us, died to reconcile us to the Father. Just to reconcile us in our fallen nature, to, to reconcile us and bring us nearer to God. Jesus died to reveal God's holy character to us. He is is a holy God, and he is a good God, but he is also a just God. And his death on the cross revealed more of that character, both his love and his righteousness to us. Jesus died on the cross to ransom us from our captivity to sin. Did you know that we were all captives to sin? Scripture says that. You may not feel like it, but that's because of what Jesus did. Before him, we all certainly were. Jesus died to prove that God was, in fact, just and righteous. Because of our sin, there was a price that had to be paid. A righteous God, a just God, couldn't simply turn his back and just pretend it didn't happen. There had to be a price to pay. And he sent his son Jesus to pay that price for us. And then ultimately, Jesus died on the cross to defeat the powers of darkness once and for all. Once and for all. That's good news. That should be an amen. Come on. Amen, hallelujah, whichever you pick, whichever one. Come on, let's hear it. That's good news. But I'll tell you, if the story ended there, if that was just the end of it, it would kind of seem like a hollow victory, wouldn't it? Like, yes, Jesus paid the, fri- the price for us. We are reconciled to God, and we are so thankful for that. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the one that paid the price, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, paid the price for us, and now he's just gone. If that's where the story ended, you'd be tempted to think that, look, we, we get a, jet, a get-out-of-jail-free card... And our Messiah is dead. If that's where it ended, it would be a whole different story. But we know, we know that the story did not end there. The story does not end in the grave. The story does not end in a victory for Satan. I'm sure that at that moment, Satan and his demons were celebrating, thinking that they had just won a major victory. The Pharisees were celebrating there was all kinds of celebration going on. There was probably also some confusion from the disciples. Can you imagine? We were just talking about this the other day. The disciples going home after witnessing what happened on the cross had to be talking to each other saying, "Now, what did he say again about coming back? What did he say about meeting? What did he say about this? You could imagine him just pouring over the details like, what did he say? Because what they saw happen in front of their eyes is not at all how they thought it was going to go down. So they had to be full of questions. And Satan and his demons were probably dancing, thinking that they had won. But they didn't win. We know the story doesn't end there. We know that today we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we can, good. Today we can celebrate the empty tomb. Today we can celebrate victory over death and the grave. Every day. day. We celebrate not the end of the story, but the beginning of the story because he is risen. Amen. Amen. Good. Today, we celebrate the recovery of God's perfect plan for your life. Do you know God had a plan for your life from before you were ever even born? He knew The number of your days, he knew what he had in store for you, he knew who he was calling you to be, he knew where he needed you, he knew exactly who you were, better than we know ourselves for sure. The problem is, since the beginning of time with that plan came Satan's desire to steal that plan. Scripture tells us to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's big three that he does in our lives, and he is relentless. He will not stop. But it doesn't have to end there. See, God has another name for you. That purpose, that plan, that name, that destiny, all those things that God had for you from the very beginning, he still has for you. Just because Satan is trying to steal it away doesn't mean that he can because Jesus has something to say about that. God declares that you are his chosen people. His children, heirs to the kingdom along with Christ. Did you know that's what he says about you? He says you're an overcomer. He says you are victorious. He says that a place has been prepared for you in his home a place that no one can steal away. Did you know that he says your eternity and everlasting life are secure simply by acknowledging his son and what he did for you? That's what God says about you. And we're calling this message today identity theft because Satan tries to steal those truths every day. And again, he's relentless. He will try and steal what God has for you and replace it with a counterfeit, with something that is that is just a cheap substitute for what God's plans are, and he will stop at nothing. Thing is, he's got some very time-tested strategies for doing that. He's not very creative, really. The things that he recycles over and over again are things that have been going on since man was first put into the garden. The same old lies, the same old deception, the same old temptation. Those things from the very beginning. He's not especially creative. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he writes this, 1 Corinthians 10.13, he writes, No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. Let me translate that. That means the stuff you're going through, although it's important to you, it's significant, it's big, and it might be new to you, there's nothing that hasn't been dealt with or put out there before. There is nothing new. The things you're going through are things mankind has been going through since the very beginning. And it continues, and God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it question, what's the way of escape that God will provide? Is it a trap door in the back? Is it one of those secret bookcases? I've always wanted one of those. Secret bookcase. <laughs> is it one of those? Is that what it is? No. What's the way? It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit will walk you through anything that comes your way. And that's how we're victorious. That's how we're overcomers. It's not through any special thing that we know or we can do It's who we know, and it's Jesus. Various forms of temptation, unrepentant sin, and even trying to convince us that the devil's really not that bad a guy are common tricks that he uses all the time. You ever seen the little pictures of the little little red devil with the little horns and the pitchfork and the little tail? He's kind of cute, right? Satan wants you to think, that's who he is. He's not dangerous. He's just sort of a little, a little minx. He's just sort of kind of a little troublemaker. That's not true. He wants you to think that. And in fact, there's a quote from a, from a 19th century um, French philosopher. You've probably seen it. Charles Baudelaire. Sometimes it's attributed to C.S. Lewis. The devil's finest trick is to persuade you that he doesn't exist. If he can make you think, ah, that's all just hogwash, all that stuff about the devil and Satan and temptation and all this, that's not really true. If he can convince you of that, then you belong to him. He's got you. He's got you. Then, of course, beyond that, then there's this old standby of just simply sowing doubt that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. If he can make you think that Jesus is just a guy, if he did exist at all, he's just a guy. Maybe he was a good magician, or maybe at best he was a good teacher. If he can convince you of that, then he's halfway home. But if you're tempted to believe that lie, church, we have no excuse for that. There is no excuse for believing that Jesus is not real. If you don't know him, if you don't call him your Lord and Savior right now, I have so much proof that I can share with you. It's not just something that you have to just take on faith and not look at closely. The closer you look at the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more real it becomes. And if you're in that place, I would love to talk to you. Now, I say that we have no excuse. I'm talking about those who know Jesus because that means that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And there should be no room for the devil to get in there and start sowing doubt. Listen to what Jesus himself said about Jews who refused to believe that he was the Messiah. Even after seeing what he did, his miracles, with their own eyes. Even after hearing him teach, even after connecting what he did and what he said with the centuries of prophecy that they knew very, very well, and yet somehow they still failed to connect the dots and still refused to believe, here's what Jesus said about them. This is from John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said that about them. They saw him. They could talk to him. They heard him teach. They saw the miracles and still said, "Mm, I don't think so. See, Satan will talk you out of your inheritance in Christ. That inheritance that God says you have, he'll talk you out of that and into accepting a false identity, who he says that you are. And the worst thing about that, well, not the worst, there's many bad things about it, but you won't even realize many times that it's happened. You won't even realize that you've accepted the lies of the enemy until it's too late. Have you ever heard of this thing called the boiling frog syndrome or the boiling frog story? It's about a frog that's put in a, in a pot of water. This pot of water is nice, and it's, it's a nice little cool bath for the frog. And then you put it over the fire, and it very slowly increases in temperature. And it goes from a nice cool bath to, hey, this feels kind of nice. It's sort of like a hot tub. This feels good. And before you know it, it's boiling, and the frog has died but it happens so gradually that the frog doesn't even realize it and allowing sin into our lives allowing the lies of the enemy to take root in our our spirit is just like that it is so gentle it is so gradual that so many times we don't even realize that it has happened then there's another one another syndrome called the Stockholm Syndrome ever heard of that? Stockholm Syndrome is where a, a captive or a prisoner or a hostage um, is taken, and by spending enough time with their captor, all of a sudden they don't see them as a captor anymore. In fact, they don't even see the situation as, as bad anymore. They start developing these, this affection and these good feelings, anything but danger. And if you don't think that you are a captive... Before Christ, we were all slaves to sin. All of us were slaves to sin. Paul said it, Peter said it, Jesus himself said it, and that's due to Satan's influence in our lives. So if you don't think you're a captive that is in danger of thinking, well, I don't have it so bad, you need to think about it again. If you don't think Satan's influence in your life is that big of a deal, or maybe worse yet, I can control it. And you're in danger. So many times I see people who find themselves in a pit. You ever find yourself in a pit? You ever find yourself in a place? And I don't mean a physical hole in the ground. I mean you are in a place where it's just dark. And, and you're looking up and you don't see a way out. All you see is just a, a cage around you. And there doesn't seem to be a way out. Most people, you would think, rational people, would try and cry out for help getting out of the pit. Bring me a ladder. Bring me a rope. Jesus, reach down your hand and pull me out of this pit. But you know what happens more often than not? You don't have to tell me if this is you, because I know what happens. We redecorate our pit. We rearrange the furniture. We might slap a fresh coat of paint on it. Make it more cozy. Make it more like home. But we make no attempt to get out of it. We just try and become comfortable in it. Church, we do not have to accept less than who God made you to be. We do not have to accept less. God made you to be a conqueror, an overcomer. Don't accept less. When Jesus Christ conquered the grave, he also conquered Satan's plans and set the captives free once and for all. Amen. Nice job. Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom, to prisoners. The Apostle Paul later echoed that very same idea, Colossians 1, 13, 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he writes to the Romans in 6, 6, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You were set free by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection from the tomb. We are risen into new life with him. Paul again writes to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, verse 22 to 24 that in reference to your former way of life, you are you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Does that sound like you? That is you. That's what he's saying about you. And Jesus died to secure that identity. In John chapter 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in order to receive your inheritance, to receive the right to become children of God, what does it say you have to do? Let's see. I look for it. It's, I think it's in code here. Believe in his name. That's it? It is done. Believe in his name. Now, here's who God says you are. I want you to hold on to this. This is what what Scripture promises us, that God says you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then Galatians 3, 26-28. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through what? Sons and daughters through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And just in case you are one of those people that thinks the old covenants, the Old Testament scriptures are not valid, are not for us, and we really need to, like that was just for the Jews. That was just for the nation of Israel. All those those promises don't really apply to us. Listen to what Paul writes. I want you to hear this. Galatians 3.29, he writes to them and says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. All of those scriptures, all of those Old Testament promises, those are for you. All of the New Testament promises are for you. Now, all that freedom comes at a cost. All that freedom, that inheritance comes at a cost. What's the cost of that? What's the filing fee for your eternal inheritance? Do you have to get an attorney? Do you have to go, what does it take? You have to call on his name. The cost really is priceless. It's absolutely priceless. You can't, you can't buy it literally at any price. You cannot buy it. But it's free. How does that work? I can't even wrap my mind around how that works. Let's talk about big numbers. The Denver Broncos are for sale for $4 billion. Anybody got that kind of money laying around, interested in buying a sports team? Talk to me after service if you are. <laughs> Elon Musk, you know him? He's getting ready. to. He's trying to buy Twitter for $43 billion, billion Billion with a B. That's crazy money. Now, he's also, currently anyway, said to be the richest man on the planet, worth $273 billion. Do you think he could buy that kind of freedom? Do you think he can buy eternal life and salvation through Jesus? Do you think he could buy that? It's priceless. Your freedom and salvation in Jesus Christ cannot be purchased. It can't be earned. It can't be synthetically manufactured in a lab. Jesus Christ himself told us what the cost would be. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that, here's the cost, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. There is no cost other than faith and belief in Jesus Christ. You know what, though? For many people, that's still too high of a cost to bear. There are still people who are unwilling to pay that price because it requires you to set aside your pride. It requires you to set aside your skepticism. It requires you to turn away from your sin. You know, some people are unwilling to do that. I'm not talking about those people who don't even realize it's sin. I'm talking about people who know that it's sinful and still refuse to turn away from it. That's a price. It requires you to give up the illusion of control. This may be the hardest for many people. It requires you to literally give up the illusion of control to someone who you've never met. In other words, it requires you to have an asset that is not of this world. You want to know what that is? It's faith. It requires you to have faith. It's something money can't buy. No one can force it on you against your will. No one can wrap it in a piece of cheese and slip it into your dinner have to do that with a pet they know what I'm talking about you alone can decide you are the only one that can make that decision no one can make it for you you can hear all the teaching you can read all the books you can listen to messages you can do all the things but you're the one that has to decide and it is literally a decision between life and death Amen. That's right. that is right. way to go Charlie And it seems like it ought to be easy. But then why do we have scriptures like Deuteronomy 30, 19, where Moses says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have placed before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Why would he have to say that if it was so obvious? Because it isn't. Because the enemy will lie to you and tell you there's got to be some hidden trick. There's got to be some catch to it. Because the world will tell you that. In fact, that's how our world operates more often than not. There's a catch. But I want to ask you, choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants, what do you choose today? It's your choice. What is your choice If you're willing to make that choice today, you can literally seal your eternity right now. You can do that today. You can declare your acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or you can continue in doubt and skepticism and and pride and all of those things. But all you need to do is accept Jesus, repent of your sins. And invite Jesus to change you from the inside out. Because you might think you run a pretty good life right now. I thought before I knew Jesus, I thought I was doing okay. I wasn't in a pit every single day. I had a home and a family and a car and a job. And I had all those kinds of things. What I did not know is that what changed from the inside out felt like. And church, it feels good. Knowing that it's not all on me to figure it out. Knowing that I have a Father in Heaven who wants the best for me and will guide me to that if I just let Him, that declaration by making that choice, in church speak we call it the Sinner's Prayer. Anybody heard of that before? The Sinner's Prayer is not written in Scripture. It's not carved into a tablet someplace. There's not a formula for it, but it's powerful. Because as Paul said, you have to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. That's what it takes. And so the sinner's prayer is simply saying that. You know, prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. You don't have to be in a special place and do it in a special way with special language You don't have to know Latin. I'm telling you right now. You don't have to know Latin. But it's a conversation between you and God. You don't say it to me or to the person next to you, or you don't say it to anybody except God. And again, it's not a formula. But I'm going to lead you through an example of it. And you can say it along with me, but I don't want you just to parrot the words. Let them come from your heart. Because if you're talking to God, you can't just repeat what I'm saying. It needs to come from your heart. Now, you can say the same words, but they need to flow through your heart. We're going to do that. I'm going to lead you through that prayer, and then we'll take communion together. Because I think the most powerful thing, whether you're, you've been a Christian your whole life, or you're a newer Christian, or maybe today is that first time that you've made that decision you need to make a declaration of that. Again, between you and God, first and foremost, a public declaration comes later. We'll do that with communion. We'll do that with baptisms next weekend. All powerful things to seal that, but that's public. The real thing happens when you say yes to God. So let's pray. Father God, I... I thank you so much for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I regret all of those years that I spent in my life trying to do things my own way, trying to do things what I thought seemed pretty good and ignoring what I knew in my heart had to be true. So Father, I am tired of trying to do things in my own power. I am tired of allowing the enemy to run over my life Lord I give my life to you I acknowledge you Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again on the third day I believe that you put your Holy Spirit in me when I accept you and Lord I want your life I want the renewed life that you promise. I don't want to live in the darkness of my sin anymore. I don't want to live as one of this world. I want your kingdom. And I want to be there with you. So Lord, right now, I declare in my heart that you are Lord. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And you are my Jesus. I thank you in your holy name. Amen. Now, if this is the first time maybe you've prayed that, congratulations, first of all. Your life will never be the same. If you need somebody to talk you through what just happened, when I made that decision, I remember the day I was in a church just like this, made that decision, and they said, come up front and get a packet, and we'll explain a couple things to you. Did I do that? No. I stood up and I bolted for the door because I had no idea what they were going to do to me. What I had to sign or what was about to happen, I just bolted for the door. And it was between me and Jesus. And I spent that day going, Lord, what does this mean for me? You can do that very thing. We don't have packets to hand out. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles for you. If you need prayer, we have people in the back with prayer lanyards who would be happy just to, just to talk to you about what this means and what this does for your life. I will be around afterwards. I'd be happy to talk to you. So however you respond, I just want to congratulate you for doing that. And if you've been a Christian your whole life or for a little while or brand new today for the first time, I want to invite you to take communion with us. Communion is a way of acknowledging what Jesus did for us, his body given and broken for us. His blood shed for us. So that through the blood of Christ, which covers us now, Father God sees us for exactly who he meant us to be. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our our faults. He sees us for the perfect creation that we were created to be. Now the way we do communion here at the cross is we have self-serve. You can serve yourself there so there's crackers and bread. You just dip it in the juice which we have at the crosses. And we will have over here, Gabe and myself will be over here. Percy and Lori Olson will be over here. And we have wine up front. You just form a line there or form a line here. You would dip the wine or dip the bread or the cracker in the wine and partake in the symbolic body and blood of Jesus. That's a great way to seal it. And then next weekend, we will have communion, or we will have baptisms. That's an awesome way. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you've just never been baptized, I want to invite you to join us. If it's the first time, then I want you to join us here. It is an amazing celebration. That'll be next weekend. So before we take communion, I just want to leave you with this scripture. This is from 1 Corinthians. This is Paul explaining how communion works. I want to leave you with that and then the worship team will play on. Feel free to respond as the Lord leads to you. This is 1 Corinthians 11:23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Thank you, church, and blessings to you all. He is risen. Amen.